Thanks, Eddie, for sharing your story. It meant a lot. Um, let me pray for us as we get into our message this morning. God, I thank you for the way you're at work, taking the broken parts of our lives and the the devastation that this world sometimes leaves behind and redeeming it and restoring it and making it whole and giving us light and life and hope, God. That is who you are. And so to this morning as we open your word and as we dive into this message, I ask that your spirit would work to um, help us experience you afresh and open our ears to hear exactly what we need to hear today as, as a congregation, Lord, but then also as individuals. So that's our prayer and we pray it in Christ's name together. Amen. Good morning, friends. We're, uh, we're in the final week of a series we've called Without End, and today we are talking about hope. Uh, what does it look like to have hope? People who truly have hope without end, hope that uh, will endure, hope that can persevere even when life in this world gets tough. And as we jump into the subject this morning. I, I want to point something out to you that you probably already know, but maybe haven't thought about, and that's this. Every single one of us is a naturally born hoper. You know, you're, you're born with this thing in you, given to you by God, that, that longs for hope, that wants to hope, that's looking for things to hope in. You are sort of created to have kind of like a spirit of hope in your soul. And we see this right away with young kids. Um, toddlers, for example. Uh, you, you've experienced toddlers. They, they crawl, you know. They, they slide, they roll. Some of them do the one arm. My son... Uh, he, he was the master at the worm. He's the only kid I've ever seen do this. But he, to get around our home, he would just worm. He literally could like break dance at a very young age. And he could worm real well. And so because he was so good at worming, he did not want to walk. He was like six years old, still worming around. Like, what's the need for walking, you know? We're really dip- disappointed parents at that point. No. Uh, and he's doing great today. He actually had a solo in the thing. Classic pastor kid. The pastor makes sure his kid gets the solo in the deal. I had nothing to do with that. I just want to say nothing at all. Anyway, uh, he's obviously walking now. But, but young toddlers, they get up to walk and you can picture this moment, right? They've been standing a little bit and now they're holding on to the sofa and they think, I'm going to give it a try, right? Maybe you're coaxing. Maybe they just do it on their own, but they're going to give it a try. And the first time they walk, that, those first attempts, they end up, what? Falling. And when they fall, when they fail, they don't just lay there. They don't just say, well, I guess that's it for me. I'm destined not to walk ever. I'm destined not to be a walker. No, even when they fall over and over and over again, something deep inside them says, today may not be the day, but someday, someday soon, a walker I will be. I have hope to be a walker. See, even young kids have this hope woven down into their hearts. Hope is why kids are so excited for Christmas morning. Hope is why we invest in the stock market. Hope is why single people go on blind dates. Maybe that's actually evidence of hope diminishing, but there's hope in there somewhere. (laughs) Hope is actually why in a few weeks, when the holidays are over, you're going to go on a diet or join a gym or buy an ab machine. Hope is why in a few weeks, your wife is going to buy you an ab machine because she still has hope. 
small fleeting hope that it is that one day her husband might have a six-pack. My wife has given up that hope. Um, But friends, hope is something that every human being experiences on some level. We all long for it. And perhaps, perhaps I'd even say this, it's the one thing human beings cannot endure the loss of. You see... We can endure the loss of an awful lot. People throughout history have lost their health, their financial well-being, their reputations, their careers, loved ones, but they still endured on. They have carried on. Human beings can face the loss of an awful lot, but we cannot go on without hope. Hope is how we live. Hope is what gets us from one day to the next. Proverbs 13, 12 says this, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, just kills us on the inside, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. There is something about that hope that even the scriptures say is just essential to human life, essential to the human spirit. And this morning, we're talking about hope because I believe... It is perhaps the central theme of the book of Isaiah. We've been in this series, we've been talking about some themes from the book of Isaiah. And this morning, instead of tackling one passage, I want to talk about the theme of hope that actually runs throughout the entire Bible, but specifically how it runs through the book of Isaiah. Because Isaiah was a book written to people who were facing terrifying, horrible, awful, life-altering challenges. And the question, the question that's being posed to them is, will they hold on to hope? What are they truly hoping in? Where can they find a hope in the midst of this fallen, broken, sinful world? What does hope do for them once they have found it? You see... Israel has now, at this point, when the book of Isaiah is being written, Israel's been a nation for a few hundred years, and actually they've experienced some pretty good times. They, they came out of slavery in Egypt, and, and they became this nation, they, they moved into the promised land, and now they've won their independence, they've established a king, they've had some military success, their economy has flourished, the Dow Jones industrial average has been, for the most part, on the rise. But now, in the book of Isaiah, things are changing. New superpowers are emerging on the international landscape. And some of the things that Israel has put her hope in, in the past, are now being threatened and destroyed. And friends, here's the first thing we can learn this morning about hope. Threat, challenge, difficulty, struggle, threat will teach us a lot about our hopes. You see, we can pretend. You and I, we're pretty good at this. We can deceive ourselves into thinking that our hopes and our dreams and our security and our identity is not all that wrapped up in something. But when that thing is threatened, sometimes what we discover is that we've actually placed more hope in that thing than we realized. Now, Let me pause right here and and sort of frame this conversation for us a little bit. Because what I'm not saying to you this morning is either hope in God, like all your hope should be in God and in nothing else or else you're a really bad Christian. Like, there should, you should have no hopes for Christmas this year, for certain gifts. You should have no hopes that your wife will like the gift you got her. Because if you're hoping in that, then you're not hoping in God. Because that's sometimes the message. Like, it's, an, it's this all or nothing thing. Like, where is your hope? As if hope is this one singular unit. It's not how the Bible, how the scriptures talk about hope. It's not how God created us. 
You see, hope is not a yes-no, black and white conversation. There are levels of hope. There are degrees of hope. And to help us understand this a little bit, let me break it down into four categories for us. There are actually probably an infinite number of categories, but just for our conversation today, to help us wrap our brains around it, four categories. First of all, four categories of hope. First of all, there are little hopes. And little hopes are small, relatively unimportant things that you are hoping for. All of us have little hopes. And there are tons, maybe hundreds, maybe thousands of little hopes that run through our brains every single day. I hope these socks are actually black and not navy blue. It's hard to tell this morning in my closet. I hope my favorite sports team wins the game. A little hope. Relatively unimportant. You see, sometimes our reactions to disappointments around hope tells us what category our hopes are actually in. When my favorite sports team wins or loses... It's just a small little thing, even for me, a tremendous sports fan. I hope the weather is good for our outing. That's a small hope. It's, it's not likely in Portland these days, I want to say, but it's a hope nonetheless. I hope that today is a good hair day. You ever one of those days, you're just like, today of all days, I just need it to work for me, right? Now, I want a good hair day, especially on Sundays, but my wife says my hair looks the same every single day of my life and that I should not really worry about it. And I think she's probably right. Maybe this morning, your little hope, and I hope it's just a little hope, is that I keep the sermon relatively short because you've got some extra Christmas shopping to do. Well, your disappointment won't be that, that hard-pressed. Um, friends, these are things that we sometimes hope for, little hopes, but they're not really that big of a deal. And then there are bigger hopes, another category, larger, more important things that you're hoping for. I hope I get that job I interviewed for. I hope my kid doesn't get picked on at school again. I hope that we can save enough money for retirement. I hope my sister isn't thinner than me again this Christmas. You see, these bigger hopes are things that have a little more weight to them, no pun intended. Um, They're things that matter a bit more. They have significance, and that last one was a joke. It's not really a big hope. Um, And then we move on from there. There are what we might call vital hopes. Vital hopes are hopes that will impact your entire life, perhaps in a significant way. Vital hopes are things like, I hope that we can get pregnant. I hope I can feel close to God again. I hope our marriage can make it through this. I hope I can get free from that addiction that is ruining my life. I hope that the report from the doctor comes back clean. I hope that I will have a place to sleep and food to eat and that my family will be safe. You see, vital hopes are, are important. They're significant. They are worth time and attention and emotional energy. And then, finally, there's what we might call ultimate hope. And ultimate hope, the way I'll define it is this. The one thing that over and above everything else gives you a sense of security, a sense of direction, motivation, confidence, identity, hope in the midst of this world that we live in. Ultimate hope, that one thing that centers your entire life. Now, back to our point. What threat, what struggle and difficulty and challenge often does is help us to see what level of hope something truly holds in our lives. Because so often we deceive ourselves into believing that things are actually further down the scale than they truly are. 
You know, we say, oh man, I, I don't care about that that much. There's not much hope that I have wrapped up in that. And then all of a sudden, it gets threatened, there's challenge, there's struggle, and you realize, oh, that meant more to me than I thought. Maybe maybe it's a, it's a thing that you've categorized as a big hope, but then all of a sudden, life happens, threat, struggle, challenge, and you start to realize that you actually feel like that hope, the hope you have wrapped up in that thing, is actually a bit more vital. It's a bit more essential to you than maybe you anticipated. Or, or perhaps the thing, and this is maybe the most important of all, perhaps the thing I was convinced, the thing I've always said and I even believed I had in the ultimate hope category as it turns out, when push comes to shove, honestly, it's not my ultimate hope at all. It's not that I have no hope in it, but maybe it's just a vital hope, or maybe it's just a big hope, but if I'm really honest, and if I really scrutinize it, and if I'm pushed a bit, I realize that something else actually has the ultimate hope slot that I've claimed was occupied by this other thing. You see... Threat, challenge, forces us to evaluate where and how much hope do I have in certain things. Um, one author I read this week uh, was talking about this phenomenon and this, this challenge of discerning um, kind of what level or what category our hopes fall into. And he asks this question, what does it take to ruin your day? If you have a problem at work or your boss doesn't rave about your performance, a relatively small thing in the grand scheme of life, or your financial situation goes a little south, or you look in the mirror and you decide the aging process is not going so well, the question is this, does that wreck you? Does that ruin you? Does that cause you a ton of stress and damage you deeply? What if a friend or a spouse snaps at you? Does a little criticism make you really angry? Does a little rejection cause you to get depressed? You see, friends, I know what it's like to wrestle with this, to wrestle with putting too much hope in what other people say or what other people think. That's something that I have wrestled with my entire life. That's actually why I became a pastor, because in this job, no one ever has comments about your performance. And so it's a really safe thing for me to do. It's kind of a tricky thing from God. Actually, you want to hear a true story. This is great. This is just sort of the Lord kind of saying, here's how it's going to go, Tashera. Um, the very first time I ever gave a message in church, the very first sermon I ever gave in my entire life, I was 25 years old. I was the youth pastor. I'd given this message at, at, our, at our youth service and the lead pastor was there and he heard it and he said, hey, that was good. I think I'd like to have you preach on a Sunday coming up and just give that message. And I was like, great. So I got up and, and that church had four services and it was in the early service and it was this traditional service, a largely older crowd. So I give the message and then after the service, again, 25 years old, totally true story, this woman comes up to me, this older woman, and she says, young man, I really enjoyed your sermon this morning. Some didn't care for it, but I really liked it. <laughs> First feedback I ever got in preaching, right there. It was one of those moments where I was like, thank you, thank you? I don't know what to do right now. And it was almost as if God's saying, you cannot pin too much of your hope in what other people have to say. Because that's just a roller coaster. That's just up and down. You see, here's the deal. Threat, challenge, struggle, difficulty, criticism can show us if we truly have our hopes in the right categories. And sometimes, sometimes, if the struggle is big enough, 
We can even be forced to evaluate our ultimate hope. And right away in Isaiah, we start to see this very thing happening to Israel. King Ahaz is on the throne in Jerusalem in southern Israel, and a military threat is looming. And then in Isaiah 7, verse 9, God goes to the king and he says this, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. And what's great about this little statement is that in Hebrew, it actually is a pun that can be translated this way. If there is no belief, you will find no relief. It's like kind of a witty statement by God. We realize that God is like a a rhymer. He's somewhat of a rapper in this moment. If you, you know, if there is no belief, you will find no relief. In other words, if you've pinned your hope, King Ahaz, if you've pinned your hope, Israel, your ultimate hope on military strength and security, then you will not find peace of mind. You will not have the security and strength of character and hope beyond circumstances that I long for you to have. God is saying to Israel here, and I believe to you and me as well, make sure your ultimate hope is in the Lord. Now Israel doesn't do this. They continue to seek to find security and peace and hope in their ability to defend and retain their land. In fact, King Ahaz turns to Assyria. He turns to like the, the predominant pagan power of, of his day and he tries to butter up to them in order to create security and hope for himself and his people. And friends, here's another thing, and I'll mention it just briefly. Here's another thing we learn about hope. Where we turn when things get hard and the stress and pressures of life come our way says a lot about where our hope lies. You see, when life starts to press in, all of us have this tendency, there are these instincts to turn to, to someone or to something in order to sort of deal with the pressures and stresses of this life. And where we're tempted to turn will tell us some information about where our hope really lies. This is actually why some of you stress eat. Because pleasure actually holds more of your hope than you care to admit. Right? So the pressure comes on, and now I just want to eat. I just want to escape. I just want to sort of drown my sorrows in really good food. I can relate to this pressure, to this, this tendency. This is why others of you are so concerned about your appearance, about how you look, maybe about your weight. Sure, some of that might just be a godly desire to be healthy, but maybe, maybe there is more of your hope wrapped up in appearance than you've allowed yourself to believe. For some in this room, it's your bank account. It's your savings. Now, is it good to save? Yes, it certainly is, of course. But sometimes, if we're honest, when trouble and struggle and difficulty come, more of our security, more of our safety, more of our hope is found in our retirement fund than we'd actually care to confess. You see, where we turn when things get hard and the stress and pressures of life come our way says a lot about where our hope lies. And so friends, this morning I have to ask, what about you? What do you lean into? What are you tempted to go back to? Where do you look for relief and peace and help and hope in this world when the pressures and struggles come? And what we learn about Israel in this moment is that They have actually confused 
ultimate hope in becoming a great nation with placing their ultimate hope in God and his plan for them to be a great nation. You see, they know God wants them to be this great nation, but God's definition of what being a great nation is and their definition are a little different. And they've got their hope not in God's plan, not in his definition, but they have their hope all wrapped up in their own. And so what happens is that the Assyrians come and conquer them, and then the Babylonians conquer them, and they're hauled off into exile, and eventually even the Persians take over. Now, let me say a quick word here about exile, because in the ancient world, when an empire or a nation or a people group got conquered, the way that they were done away with, the way that they were wiped out, was often accomplished through this process called exile. And what exile did was essentially it hauled people off to, to foreign countries, to, to, to foreign territories, where they would eventually just blend in with all the other peoples of the ancient world. And so their story and their culture and their faith and their language and their book, it would all just kind of dissipate and be forgotten. Just kind of, they just kind of just get assimilated in. For you Star Wars fans, this is like the Borg. Um, and here's the deal. Exile for Israel was this place where they discovered that they had lost who they are. By the way, this happened to all the other neighboring people groups around Israel. Um, all those nations, all those other people groups, just they got assimilated, they got overtaken by the Assyrians and the Babylonians and the Persians, and they just they just disappeared. They just dissipated into thin air. This is why, like, none of us here are going out for Moabite cuisine later. This is why no one in this room has like an Edomite neighbor or or um, is going to go to lunch at the, the really good Hittite restaurant down the road. Why? Because those people groups, those nations, they just got assimilated and they're just gone. They just kind of dissolved, right? And so now all of a sudden, Israel finds herself in the same place, this place where they realize that life has not gone the way they wanted it to. You see, exile was this moment when they started to see real clearly that their circumstances were not going to be the ultimate source of their joy and peace and dreams and hope. Because it all gets taken away from them. This is the moment, exile, where they start to realize that hopes based in this world are really fleeting. Anyone here ever experienced this? Have you ever been through an exile of sorts in your life? In other words, have the forces of this world ever moved in and against your will, snatched away some of your greatest hopes, your greatest dreams, the very things your life and identity were built on? Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever been through an exile? Friends, if there is one thing this fallen world promises, it's that exile, in some way, is coming for every single one of us. If you haven't experienced it yet, you certainly will. Life just has a way of showing us that the things we sometimes hope in, they can be fickle and they can be fleeting. This is exactly what happens to God's people in the book of Isaiah. Their land, their independence, their nation, their temple... It all gets taken from them. And now they're trying to figure out, where do we find hope, ultimate hope, when all hope seems to be lost? Friends, take, take a look at the side screens for just a second. This is a, a map of the Middle East, uh, most specifically the Persian Empire. You see, first the Assyrians come 
to Israel. And this is about 700 BC. And they exile uh, northern Israel. Then the Babylonians take over from the Assyrians. And they come in about 600 BC. And they haul off the rest of the country. And, when the, and then finally, when the Persians finally take over, it's about 500 years before Jesus. Israel is still in exile. And the pagan Persians have become the largest, most powerful, most influential empire the world has ever known to date. The reach of this empire, the power and influence of the Persian Empire was like nothing the world had ever seen before. And here's why this is so significant. Israel thought, Israel had always hoped, always dreamed that they were going to be Persia. But what God is teaching them here in this book is that they had the wrong dream. Their ultimate hope has actually been put in the wrong place. Here's the point, friends. It took an exile for them to finally realize that so many of their old dreams, so many of their ultimate hopes, um, were just like the hopes and dreams of everybody else. That they were actually no different than every other country, every other people. That they wanted kings, and they wanted to win great battles, and they wanted to possess land and enormous wealth. They just wanted to be a worldly success. That was the big dream of Israel. And God says, that's never been my big dream for you. They had the wrong dreams. Their hope was in the wrong place. I have to ask us, friends, how about us? As God's people, the church of Jesus Christ today, how about us? How about you? Do our hopes and dreams look just like the people around us? Or or is our ultimate hope truly, not just in word, not just in what we say and sing on Sundays, but is our ultimate hope truly founded and built on God, His plan, His purposes, the kingdom He has come to offer to and through you? Does the ultimate hope of God in your life change your life? Or do we just look like all of our other neighbors except for the fact that we come to church on Sundays? You see, friends, sometimes God uses exile, struggle, difficulty, trouble, even calamity to refine our hopes, to get them back in order, to get us back on the right track and valuing and dreaming about and hoping for the things that he wants us to value and think about and dream about and hope for, right? Maybe the best example of of exile in, in my house is this thing we call the timeout chair, the timeout chair is sort of like an exile of sorts. It's used when my children somehow, sometimes forget that their ultimate hope is not based on who gets the most time on the iPad. And conflict and war breaks out. And then one or more of them have to go and visit the timeout chair in exile. And during that exile, they have to get reordered. They have to remember where their hope really is found. And that it doesn't matter that you know she got six minutes and I only got five. Right? See, the timeout chair is, is where Israel gets sent here by God, this place where they get to reorder and find what really matters once again, get their hopes and their lives and their dreams aligned with God once more. In fact, if you study the book of Isaiah, what you learn is it actually breaks into two main parts. Chapters 1 through 39 are mostly about the hopelessness of human effort. 
It's about Israel's futile effort to continue to struggle to find their ultimate hope in this world and, and retain their land and keep their nation and to keep their stuff, right? That's, what, that's the first 39 chapters of Isaiah. But then, in chapter 40, there's the shift that takes place. And the next 26 chapters focus on the real hope for Israel. God's hope for Israel. A hope based not on human effort and worldly things, but a hope based on divine effort and godly things. This is why, in chapter 40, the whole tenor of the book shifts gears and we read these famous words. Do you not know... Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Isaiah is saying here, here's where your ultimate hope should be. This is what you should be looking at right now. He will not grow tired or weary in his understanding. No one can fathom. What he's saying here is is that the hope in God is never going to let you down. It's never going to disappoint you because God's not on a break. He's not off taking a nap. He's got plans. And even though you may not see him, you may not understand them, he is always at work. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. Every hope based on human effort, based on things in this world, is destined for disappointment and destruction. There is not a single hope in the entire world that can carry the weight of being the ultimate hope in your life. Everything except for God in that slot will ultimately disappoint you. It will fall short. It will grow tired and weary and it will stumble and it will fall. But, but those, verse 31, who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Do you see what Isaiah is talking about here? He's talking about endurance. He's talking about perseverance. He's talking about something that won't peter out when things get real tough. He's talking about hope without end. Paul actually preaches this same message in Romans chapter 5. He says this, We rejoice in our sufferings, in our exile moments, in our struggles, in our difficulties, in our challenges, knowing that suffering produces what? Endurance, perseverance, and endurance, character, and character, hope. You see, friends, hope and exile, hope and suffering, the difficulties and challenges of this world, God is always using them to refine and redefine where we've placed our hope. He's always doing it. And hope does not put us to shame. When you've got your hope in the right place, when your hope is in the Lord, when your hope is in Christ, then you won't be disappointed, you won't be let down, He's not going to fail you someday. You're not going to be ashamed of where you put your hope. No. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, when you put your hope in the Spirit of God offered to you and me through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you will never be put to shame. It will endure and last forever. You see, Paul is encouraging the church here. He's telling us there's this re- Redefining that's happening in our world when we face suffering, when we face difficulty and struggle and exile. Paul is saying those things are actually helping us refine in our minds and our hearts where lasting hope is found. What he says is that it can be found in God's love, right? He says it can be found in the Lord. 
If you put it anywhere else, if ultimate hope lands anywhere else, you are destined for destruction. In 1 Thessalonians 5, he, he says a similar thing. He's talking again about the struggle that we're going to face in this world. How in this world we're going to face difficulty and challenge and, and struggle. And he's talking to the church and he's encouraging the church. And he says this. He says, when you're facing that battle, when you're going into the struggles and difficulties and challenges of this life, put on the breastplate of faith and love. Get armed up for the battle with faith and love, right? And then he says this. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And for a helmet, the hope of salvation. How many here have ever like worn a helmet? Ever played football? Do you remember wearing a football helmet? Yeah. If you didn't wear a helmet when you played football, you probably don't remember it. <laughs> but if you did, or even if you didn't, you can probably answer this question. What is a helmet for? What does a helmet do? It protects your head, right? It's, it, a helmet's all about protection. So it's interesting that Paul equates a, a helmet with hope here. Um, why would he do that? Well, a helmet's for protection. It protects your head, your brain. It enables you to endure. It enables you to persevere in the battle. Friends, that's what's having our ultimate hope, and God does. It enables us to endure and persevere the battles that we must face in this world. So where do we put our ultimate hope? Well, Isaiah tells us. Hundreds of years. Hear this. This is amazing. Hundreds of years before Jesus would be born, Isaiah says, if you want to have hope without end, hope that will not disappoint, hope that will give you endurance and perseverance through everything this world will throw your way, trust in the divine effort of God seen in the offering of his son to suffer on our behalf. Isaiah says, someday God is going to send this servant, this servant of God, this suffering servant, who's going to take all of our pain and all of our struggles. He's going to be pierced for our transgressions. He's going to be crushed for our iniquities. That through his suffering and death, our sins are going to be forgiven and we can finally have peace with God. That is where we find ultimate hope. That's the good news. That's the hope of Isaiah. That's the reality of what we celebrate this Christmas season. That God did not leave us in this fallen, broken, sinful world to grope around and find hope on our own, but that he came. He took matters into his own hands and that now, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can have ultimate hope, everlasting hope, hope without end. So as we prepare this morning to go into Christmas, friends, let's just take a minute to remind our hearts, to remind our souls, to remind our lives where our ultimate hope is found. And we're going to do that by celebrating together the Lord's Supper. You see, here's, here's what life does. I know that my ultimate hope's in Jesus, right? But then I get out there in the world and there's all these things that are tempting me and my hope starts to slide. And I say my hope's in Jesus, but my hope starts to shift and I hope in other things. I hope in other people. I hope in situations and I hope in circumstances and they are all bound to disappoint me. And so God continues to call me back through this meal. Remind yourself, Dave. Remind yourself, church where your ultimate hope is, what is really the foundation of your life, and then go and live from that place. Live from the ultimate hope, the reality that Jesus, and Jesus only, deserves, is worthy of, the ultimate hope of your life. The ushers are going to come forward. I just want to give you a few minutes as they do. They're going to distribute the elements. Maybe spend some time with God this morning. Maybe ask some questions. 
Maybe ask some questions of your own heart today. Where have I been tempted to turn lately in the midst of stress? Where, where do I run to when things get hard? Maybe it's time to just sit back and say, is my life, are my hopes and dreams all that different than other people? Why? Why not? Does God really occupy the place that I want to tell myself he does in my life? Spend some time with the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal some of these things to you. And then in just a minute, together, as a community, we're going to receive the elements and we're going to declare again, God, we need you to be our ultimate hope. Ushers, come forward and distribute the elements.